Welcome to the Longevity Week podcast hosted by the Longevity Forum. We'll be featuring podcasts all week on the theme, Sustainability in a Decade of Healthy Aging, which you can listen to online at thelongevityforum.com. On this episode, Julia Randall-Kahn, CEO of Encore Fellows UK, will be interviewing Professor Carol Black on Aging Well and Guidance for Second Career Acts. Now to you, Julia. Uh, today, we are delighted to be in conversation with Professor Dame Carol Black. And welcome, Professor Black, to the Longevity Forum podcasts. Thank you so much, Julia. And my name is Julia Randall Khan. I lead the Encore Fellows Programme in the UK, which is one of the projects which was sponsored by the Longevity Forum um, a few years ago. And we tap into the talents of older people for social change as part of an Encore career. The theme of this year's Longevity Week is sustainability in a decade of ageing. And our podcast today with Professor Black will cover a number of areas relevant to this theme. But if I first may introduce you, Carol, to to our listeners and and, and your long and varied career. So Professor Black has had a distinguished career as both a physician, an academic, policy advisor, but also as a leader in the medical and research fields, including the important role as president of the Royal College of Physicians. And Carol, you've advised government departments on health, uh, work, well-being, and your latest um, work, advisory work, was leading the UK's review of drugs, which made recommendations earlier this year. And I know we're going to come on to that in our conversation. But as a medical practitioner, um, Carol's specialisation is, is rheumatology, and in particular, being a world expert on the connective tissue disease, scleroderma. And in fact, the Longevity Forum also sponsored research into this disease um, at Oxford a couple of years ago as well. And we may come back to that in our conversation. And among many other appointments, um, Carol is chair of the British Library and also chair of the Centre for Aging Better. So welcome again, Carol, and thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. So our theme, as I mentioned, for this year's Longevity Week is sustainability in a decade of ageing and focusing on the future of longer living from health to the future of work. So my first question is, it's about the UK government's commitments to level up and increase healthy life expectancy by five years, by 2035. I'm, I'm, on, in, I'm just interested to know what you think about this commitment. Is it realistic, achievable, and if so, how? And what, in your opinion, should be the top areas of focus to enable us to achieve this commitment? Well, it's highly aspirational, Julia. I mean, I'm very pleased to see that they are committed to trying to increase healthy life expectancy, but that does seem to me a very big stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, really, when we even think at the moment, if I'm correct, uh, even our life expectancy is not going up. And the disease burden that they're facing at the moment is, of course, worse and being made worse by um, uh, the backlog with the pandemic. So I, I just I, I haven't seen in any one area of the country, how are they going to do this? Where's their roadmap? 
what is the time frame, what are they going to try and do first, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, I mean, as, as you know, so much of our resource goes, if you like, on defined disease and so little on prevention. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have thought that if they want to increase our healthy life expectancy, I mean, prevention has to have a bigger place. I mean, just even thinking on one very simple thing, um, smoking, we know the effect of smoking on healthy life expectancy. It It isn't good news. Um, that's just one thing. If we think about, um, and it's been so exposed in uh, in the pandemic, how we in fact have got a rising body mass index as, as a population, not the reverse. Uh, and the government acknowledges that obesity is a, a large problem. But these are things that if throughout your life, you are, if you like, accumulating not good assets, but bad assets, mm-hmm. then it really, um, it's hard to think unless they start to really get on top of some of these things. How are we going to increase healthy life expectancy? And and it's so often those who um, live in deprivation are in the poorer areas of our country, poorer education, convenience stores that don't sell healthy food, perhaps not good access to places to walk or exercise who are in most need of support to be healthier in life. So I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pleased they're committed. I don't see, if you like, the roadmap. Um, And I can think of lots of things where we um, we really need to turn the tide. But could we do that much by 2035? It does seem rather aspirational to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, no, I agree. And I think it's complex, as you say, and I think it requires a lot of very joined up thinking um, to to make this a success, which actually you know, brings me to to talk a little bit more about your drugs review, because I think one of the important recommendations you made there, particularly in the context of sustainability of, of drug treatment and services going forward, is about having joined up coordination to have a really sort of sustainable approach to drug treatment and recovery workforce because of the impact of you know drug deaths deaths being at an all-time high and the the huge ramifications for society and family problems caused by that but from your in-depth review that that you did and the recommendations that you made earlier this year do you think there is genuine political will to make the investments that are needed in terms of funding training leadership to get the change that we need Um, and then Given your sort of international experience as well, are there any countries that you think have got this right where systems and support are fit for purpose? Thank you. Um, two really interesting questions. I do think there is political interest and determination to do something about this across several departments of state. And what you said is so important. This requires a whole systems um review and and reform and it needs about six departments of state to really come together because they each would contribute a bit we need for example dwp because of finding jobs we need the home office of course because there is the uh, 
the whole enforcement and the criminal justice system. So much do we need from health. And then, of course, there is what used to be MHCLG, but is now the levelling up department Mm -hmm. because of, of housing. And each of those departments, as I've done this review, has really showed a, a desire to actually be at the table and do something about it. We have one big problem, and that is, will we be able to get any money from the Treasury? Yes. You can do a few things, but we've had such a stripping back of support, of uh, financial support in the last eight years, that without real investment, then I'm afraid homicides will increase. Acquisitive crime, 49% due to drugs, will increase. A third of our prison places taken up by by, uh, those with drug uh, problems. Mm, And such personal and family and societal misery. It's hard to think how it's going to get much worse. But the really big question, I don't doubt the Prime Minister's interest and determination but we can't do it without financial investment. That's the truth. Mm, yes. No. I, and, and do you think there are any countries or, or regions who who have got this right? You know, where the, where the systems are working more effectively together in a joined up way. I I think you you can see countries where you would say um, they've got bits of the system. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, more more together and and often people refer to the scandinavian countries as as having a more public health approach um and treating this much more as a health condition rather than um you know a really a, a criminal activity but of course you can treat this and we should treat it as a chronic disease drug dependency and we can do that without changing our laws and we can get on with doing things in the health service that would uh, make a difference you can see countries that have taken on the recovery aspect and we are not good in the united kingdom at really investing and supporting that recovery process which can take you know several years and needs peer workers Um, Now, America has got some very interesting uh, communities of recovery. Um, People often quote uh, Portugal as having, um, you know, a a much more uh, health uh, approach to drugs. So I think we can see Mm -hmm. in different countries and we see in several countries of the world a much greater investment in proper research. And you absolutely need to improve that in the United Kingdom because we don't have an institute, we don't have many departments. If you're not really actively researching and producing the next generation, if you like, people who are interested in this area, it gets very low ratings and really gets ignored, which is what has happened. Yes, yes. It's it's uh, there's a lot to learn and share. I can see that and. I'm going to slightly change tack um, for the next question. Given we are in you know, the longevity forum and living longer, working longer is is what we're all facing. And I know your particularly your earlier work has had a major focus on health and work. When you're an advisor to Tony Blair's mm. government, and I think you said that you know people need to be healthy, well, resilient, and in work. Um, and if people are working and living longer and working longer there has to be a much more effective intervention um, when people fall ill so that, you know, they can stay in the workforce longer and 
rather than retiring on medical grounds or going on to benefits. And so this ambition, I think, is obviously needed even more, particularly with the pandemic experience and the impact on mental health. And I know you've spoken before about the role of employers in the health of their Mm. employees. I mean, could you tell us a bit more about your views on that and maybe any some practical examples Mm. of where you see some good practices emerging? Yes, certainly. I think what employers often think they should do first is get lots of interventions. You know, I've got a mental health problem, so I must have an EAP provider or perhaps some yoga classes or mindfulness. I think the health and well-being um, of, of a workforce depends at its very most basic on the culture of the organisation. So although it may seem strange to say this, I think the first three fundamental things to get right is do you have a leadership in the organization that talks about and shows that it supports the health and particularly the mental health Mm. and well-being of its workforce never more important than now do you have a board in the organization that gets regular reports on the health and well-being of that workforce just as much as they get financial reports and then have you supported and trained your line managers to really support their teams if you don't get those three things right you're going to have a workforce that isn't mentally well and hasn't got a sense of well-being and I think if you get the basics right then what I like to think employers can do is to really know their data because you need to know, and it varies from organization to organization, within your organization, how much of your problems are musculoskeletal or anxiety, mm. stress and depression or financial well-being? Or mm. perhaps are you really identifying those people who need support because they're suffering from domestic violence? So know your data. And then once you know your data, try to put in where you can evidence-based interventions. That's not easy because we don't have many evidence-based interventions, but we do have best practice. So you, you often have to have a mixture of those things. So I think that is the ideal way to do it. Often people say to me, but Carol, I've got a Zumba class and I've got my fresh fruit and uh, and vegetables. I've improved what we serve in the cafeteria. Um, and uh, I've got an EAP program. They're wonderful at sticking over the cracks, mm-hmm. but they're not wonderful at sustainability. So I think you need a, a really thought through approach to this. And then there are some companies um, that uh, that do this uh, extremely well. And you'll be as aware of the names as, uh, as I am in companies like BT. Um, some of our water companies are very good at this. Uh, Tideway that's building uh, the uh, big sewage tunnel mm-hmm. under the Thames has got a very good uh, uh, program. So I think you you can go to individual companies mm-hmm. that, are, that are doing this well. There's a wonderful national forum um, created by um, Sir Kari Kupo where we meet and we discuss and we exchange v- views and try to identify good practice. I think a big challenge is how do we support middle-sized companies and small companies because they don't have the same resources, not often got occupational health or HR. And so I think there 
it's uh, it's got to be simple messaging and easy things to do. But I know people are amazed when I don't start off by saying the interventions you should put in, but I talk about culture. Yes, no culture. And I think what we'll do, um, Carol, we'll, we'll put some of those resources and references in the follow-up uh, to the podcast so that people can get access and follow on for good examples of, of you say, the good practice um, so that we can share the expertise and knowledge of things that are working. Um, and that will be very, very important, I think. Um, I mean, just on a, on a personal note, you know, in terms of keeping yourself healthy, well, resilient. I did listen to uh, your Desert Island Discs um, interview, which was a few years ago, and you talked about running every day because it gives you a chance to think and to work things out. And is that still the case? Um, it was the case still until last um, December because I've had to have a knee replacement and I've now got a new left knee and uh, yes. the surgeons, I've now gone up mountains. So yes. I'm back. Uh, it's, it's a very good knee replacement. Uh, I've done my exercises faithfully. Um, I'm going to be allowed to jog again on November the 1st. So right. I, don't know, I don't know whether I'm um, how, you know, what it's going to feel like. Um, but I have substituted uh, that running when I couldn't with with a lot of walking. And yes. I was really happy when uh, a month ago I was allowed to go and walk in the Lake District and go up hills again. Yeah, well, that, that sounds like good good progress. Well, well, good luck for the 1st of November. <laughs> um, and pa- perhaps we could just close, Carol, with, a, with, a, with an update on scleroderma, which I'm sure you're, you know, you're still very involved in. And it, it is a it is a connective, a very rare connective tissue disease. But I know that the Longevity Forum had an interest in this, given sponsorships of some of the work at, at Oxford. Could you just give us an update on on where this disease is and, and ameliorating the condition and what people can expect now in terms of treatment? Yes, I, I, I think from when I started, when it really was very depressing and we really didn't have any drugs for any part of it because it has lots of different organ involvements, you know, your heart, your lungs, uh, your kidneys. What I And there were very few of us interested. So my first conference I went to on scleroderma, there were only 22 of us in the room. Uh, now we run a we run the uh, biannual research uh, conference, and we will have anything up to two fifty to seventy people. So a lot more people doing research, and we now have drugs that have been in trial for scleroderma itself and have passed the regulatory authorities, which was something that was unheard of even ten years ago. So of course. We don't cure the disease. It would be foolish of me to tell you that. But I think for almost all types of scleroderma now, we have a variety of drugs which in combination um, can control this disease and indeed slow it right down and, and make it in some cases almost appear to disappear. But I don't want to use that word because mm-hmm. you know, we don't know exactly uh, what causes it. And the other really important thing is that we get patients earlier. Because doctors and GPs now know um, there are some drugs and there are some things we can do, um, then of course you can get referrals in. Crucially important, you catch people as early as possible when the disease is sort of starting to rev up um, because you want to stop 
the pathways that are causing the disease and interrupt them um, so they can't sort of make the skin much thicker, the organs much thicker, which is what happens in scleroderma. You lay down the protein collagen, which is essential to our human form and our function, but you only need a certain amount of it. And you just, if you don't stop it in scleroderma, then it basically clogs up your internal organs. And that was how it killed you. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's so encouraging to hear the dramatic um, yeah, it's improvements been... in, in space of, say, 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So I think it's, it's very, very encouraging. Yes, I, I really, it's one of the things that gives me um, the greatest pleasure to see the centre that I founded, you know, run now by really, really capable researchers who are at the forefront of that research. Yes, well, thank you. But I think that's a really uplifting note uh, to, to end our conversation. And I think this has been fascinating. I know we've just touched on a few topics, but I think it will really add to our understanding and thinking you know for this year's longevity week and the theme on sustainability in a decade of aging and i just want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today and um, wish you continued continued um, success with your research your leadership and a good return to running on the 1st of november well i hope i can manage it thank yes. you julia thank, thank you. you very much this broadcast has been brought to you by the Longevity Forum as part of Longevity Week 2021. We are very grateful to our sponsors, Juvenescence and Burnbrae. For more podcasts, visit our website, thelongevityforum.com, or follow us on Twitter, longevity underscore forum. <laughs>